0: Hey, Jacob's Whole Podcast, it's Easter weekend, and because of Easter, because the grave is empty, everything has changed. And this weekend, we're going to be finishing up our series called Settled, where we've been following the children of Israel through the wilderness, and we're going to be talking about satisfaction and the promise of God that came true on Easter that makes our future look very bright. Can't wait to share it with you. Right? Awesome. This is the day. This is the day that we as Christians celebrate more than any other because we celebrate that which was most important, that which was primary, that which happened and changed absolutely everything. And and so this is the day we celebrate the resurrection. Where you're here in the worship center or you're in, in the theater I just want to say Happy Easter, because for Christians, this is the day that has changed absolutely everything, and and this weekend, we want to celebrate it um, as we're continuing our study in Settled. We've been in this study where we have been looking at An incredible time in the history of God's people. For those of you who haven't been here, it's been this time in in the old part of the Bible, uh, a time that tends to live in dusty obscurity called the wilderness wanderings. And it begins with the people of God being enslaved in Egypt. So for 400 years, they have been oppressed, they've been downcast, they don't have any identity, they don't have any culture, they don't know who they are. And they don't know who God is. And then the Deliverer comes and and leads them out. This guy by the name of Moses leads them out across the Red Sea. And now they're in this wilderness time. And they're no longer slaves. But they don't know how to live free yet either. And and so so they spend this 40-year time in this wilderness with this promise. God has said, listen, I'm going to lead you to this wilderness. But on the backside of this wilderness. And I'm promising to lead you into a promised land. And it's flowing with milk and honey. And, and that, that picture of milk and honey is, is a call, is a long to have our satisfaction satisfied, our, our longing satisfied. And so one of the big questions we're going to ask this weekend is that is there anything in this life that brings satisfaction? Let me just give you a little bit of spoiler alert. The answer is no. But, but when you begin to recognize, listen now, this is important that this life is not supposed to satisfy, this life is supposed to be about anticipation, it takes the pressure off this life for us to accept it for what it is because of the hope we have. Now, one of the things we we have been seeing in this study is that so much of this journey that the children of Israel have been on in the wilderness, it parallels our journey. In fact, it's kind of meant to be a foreshadowing or even a prophecy because for a lot of us, we were enslaved to something. Something owned us. Something controlled us. And, and God and the person of Jesus has come into our life. And now it's led us into this, this journeying time where we're in the wilderness. And very often, this life feels like a wilderness. And if you're honest, there, there is in this time of wilderness a longing, an ache, a, a brokenness, a sense that there has got to be something more. There's got to be something. Just that, that that satisfies that longing. And 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 like the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, there are all kinds of lessons that we've been learning. We've been seeing all kinds of parallels. And one of the biggest is this promise that God has made, that this promise of them going into a promised land, a land flowing of milk and honey, is a foreshadowing of the promise of God to us. Now, this is this is what you just need to understand. That because this, this promise of a land of milk and honey was given to the people of the we need to understand that this is about longing. So think about it. These have been people who have been slaves for like 400 years. And when you're slaves, you don't get a lot of good stuff. And milk and honey was like a delicacy then. It was something wonderful. And for 40 years, they've been wandering in the wilderness and they've been eating like quail and this stuff called manna that apparently was this tasteless stuff you could make into bread and stuff like this, but they were tired of it. And so when people started talking about milk and honey, that was about something they would have longed for, something they would have looked forward to. It's a little like people who were ready for some fat and sugar, okay? That's what milk and honey was. It was like, mm, some of you are thinking about your lunch this afternoon in that kind of way, but imagine if it's been 40 years of longing and anticipation. And so this land of milk and honey, so after this journey of 40 years, indeed God does keep his promise, he leads them to the land of milk and honey. And and just before they're about to go into it, their leader Moses calls them together, and the, and the fifth book of the Bible is called Deuteronomy, and it's all about, it's called it's the second law, and God just reminds them of everything he's done, their history, how they've been delivered, how they're supposed to live, how it's supposed to be different, and then towards the end of it, he says this to them about their journey in the wilderness he says and Yahweh the Lord brought you out of Egypt and so was a remembrance and throughout their history they're meant to be remembering there was a time you were enslaved there was a time where you were without God and without hope there's a time you didn't know who you were and you didn't know who God was and you were enslaved to something that owned you he said with a mighty hand and outstretched arm look at this with great deeds of terror with great deeds of terror. So, so God would do miraculous things, awesome things, ground shaking things that would show his awesome power. And that the thing that God was getting ready to do was an awesome thing, was a incredible, incredible thing. With great deeds of terror and with signs and wonders. So signs and wonders is the second part of it. He brought us into this place and gave us a land flowing with milk and honey. And so Moses said to the people, this is what God has done for us. But what we need to see this weekend is that this promise was the foreshadowing of what God was doing for us. And it actually is what Easter is all about. Let me show you what I mean. So it starts with this promise of, of doing great and terrible deeds. And, and what, what we see is that Easter is about the greatest deed Facing our deepest terror. So, the greatest thing that ever happened facing our deepest terror. And I just want to remind you about your greatest terror because here's the truth you got a problem, and I got a problem. You know what the problem is? Death. Death is a problem. It's coming to all of us, it's going to come, it'll come unaware, it'll it'll come, it'll blindside you, but all of us have an appointment with eternity. And the problem is, is because we have been enslaved to sin, if we die in our sins, we go before God and God says, I'm not going to have anything to do with sin, so he sends us away. And so with our sins still on us, death is a terror. It's a catastrophe. It is the worst thing that could ever happen. It's bigger than the bill you can't pay. It's bigger than the relationship you think is broken. It's bigger than whatever it is you think you're carrying. Your biggest problem is death. Well, let's take a look at how God addressed your problem. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. And from the cross we say, we read about this. From the sixth hour until the ninth. Look at all the terror things. Look at all the things that are intense, that are made to help us to see that this is about fighting darkness and overcoming our greatest terror. From the sixth hour until the ninth, darkness came over the land. And so this is a picture of darkness. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani," which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Christ was forsaken, so we would not have to be. And so he took on our terror. He took on our isolation, our alienization. He took it all on. Verse 50, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, look at this, he gave up, his spirit. Now it didn't stop there. So now we have death. So Jesus takes on our death. It says at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Look at this. And the earth shook and the rock split. So there's an earthquake. Cataclysmic events. Part of it was that there was this huge temple in, ter- in and a huge curtain in the temple. And it was ripped by God from the top to the bottom. And that was meant to symbolize that the most holy place in the tabernacle where God dwelt and only one person one time a year can go, that was obliterated. Now the presence of God comes out to all of God's people. So it's not about a holy man or a holy place or a holy ritual. It's about a relationship that we can have with God. All of this was won by what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. You see, what Jesus did for you on the cross was he solved your biggest problem. He solved your question of eternity. He has taken that which was the greatest tear of your life and he's turned it into the greatest triumph. Because now death is a doorway to satisfaction. It's a doorway to transformation. It is our healing, not our condemnation. That's why the cross is so incredibly important for Christians because the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. So it's not poured out on us. And so we see this deed of greatest terror done on our behalf. But it doesn't stop there. We also see a sign of greatest wonder. And this is what Easter is all about, right? It says this. It says, after the Sabbath, so three days later, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look in the tomb. And what did they expect to find? A dead guy. Right? Look what they found. There was a violent earthquake, again with the earthquake. It's as if God said, this is important. Has God ever shook you and said, this is important? Well, that's what he's saying here. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so, look at this, afraid of him, afraid that they shook and became like dead men. Again, incredible events taking place, cosmic events, supernatural events. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Can I get an amen? Amen. Can I get an amen in the theater? I bet they amen. I can't tell. But here's the deal. Amen, theater. All right, there we go. He has risen just as he has said. Come and see the place where he is laid. Evidence of it. You know the next thing he does? He says, and go tell the disciples this has happened. You see, here's what's going on with the resurrection. We learn all about this in the wilderness wandering. Jesus was the perfect person. Therefore, he could be the person... High priest who could offer the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. He brought it to God in heaven, and whether or not it was going to be accepted by God as a sacrifice acceptable for all of us would be determined whether or not Jesus, as the high priest, would come back alive. And the fact that he came back resurrected not only says, Yes, God accepted the sacrifice, but it also is the confirmation that everything Jesus said was true. I mean, the truth is, without the resurrection, Jesus is kind of like a fraud. Without the resurrection, I mean, he claimed he was God. He made all kinds of promises. He he called us to live radical lives. He called us to incredible sacrifices. But the reason why we should obey him, we should listen and we should follow him, is because of the resurrection. Here's what you need to understand about the resurrection. And talk about this every Easter. Let it sink into your heart. Because this will change everything if your heart will receive it. Here's the deal. Jesus said, long before he died, he said, this is what's going to happen to disciples of mine. He so said, we're going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. They're going to abuse me. Then they're going to put me to, dead, to death. Don't worry. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. He told them that clearly multiple times. And so the disciples, they couldn't receive it. They couldn't figure it out until after it happened. But here, here's what just a rule for life, okay? I'm going to write anything down. Write this down. If someone predicts their death, and actually dies, and then predicts they're going to come back to life, and they do it, pay attention to what they say in life. Right? Follow them. If they keep their word on that promise, we can trust that they will keep their word on other promises. Now, some of you are saying, oh, Paul, that's just a bunch of stories in the Bible. Well, there are four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies of Jesus. These are the eyewitness testimonies of the people who wrote about Jesus. But here's the thing you need to understand. There are other non-biblical sources that attest to the fact that Jesus lived, he did miraculous things, and that his original disciples claimed that he rose from the dead. And and these are sources that are not Christian sources. These are sources that are Roman and Jewish sources that would have been hostile, would have wanted to cover this up. In fact, there was a huge movement to cover this up, particularly by the Jews. And, And so these secondary sources give historical credence and credibility, the resurrection of Jesus is one of the most confirmed historical events in the ancient world. But there's even a more compelling reason than that why I believe in the resurrection. And it's the testimony of his original followers, these guys who wrote these four biographies. Because think about it. These are, these are stories they wrote about themselves. And as you read these stories, you come to recognize these 12 people Jesus called, not the sharpest knives in the drawer. Let's just say it, all right? They weren't well-educated, they weren't powerful, they weren't rich, okay? They, they, they probably spoke one language. Several of them we know couldn't read or write because they had to have other people write their biographies, and they just told them what happened. And, and so, so these are people who you're not sure. They, they had never traveled more than 70 miles from their home. These were very regional, provincial people, and yet these are the ones that Jesus taught, and, and, and these are the ones he called. And, and it would be one thing if they were getting Jesus' message, they were like, you know, top of the class, but they were forever getting, I don't know, I don't get that, what's he talking about? I, you know, I tried to cast out the demon, I'm no good at that, you know, tried to heal this, no good at that, you know, I'm just not that good at this whole disciple thing. And so at the end of Jesus' life, you're thinking to yourself, wow, these guys are the A-team. It's not a very good deal. But but here's what you need to understand. These same 12 apostles, these same people, and and about uh, 120 others, and then about 500 who witnessed the resurrection, these same group of nobodies, they took this message and they brought it all over the world. Think about that. An ancient world, no safety, they didn't know language. They took it as far as India, as far as France, and within like two or three hundred years, their message was so compelling, their passion was so compelling that that the majority of people in the Roman world started to become followers of Jesus Christ. And they did it without an army, without politics, without money. They did it on the strength of their testimony. Now the question is, what happened to this group of nobodies that was so powerful, so transformational, so changed my life, incredible, that they were able to do this? Well, they saw a dead guy coming back alive. They saw this Jesus do his miracles. They saw the things. And at the end of the day, his promises were true. Now, some of you might say, well, they were just doing this to get power and money and fame or something like that. must have gone to a Tony Robinson, you know, seminar and figured out how to be successful. Nothing like that. Because here's what we know about these people. They left comfort. They left family. They went to hard, difficult places. And at the end of their life, they were were nobodies. They were unknown. They were were obscure people among the, the popular culture. They were poor. And indeed, almost every single one of them died a horrible, persecuted death with some of the worst tortures known to man. And they did it all in the name of Christ. Now, again, the Bible says about 500 people witnessed the resurrection. And there were people who were trying to get a story that would undo the story of the resurrection, and they couldn't find one of those disciples. So you would think that at some point, one of the people who were part of this, one of the people who did the, the, uh, saw the resurrection would have said, oh, we made it up. John, Peter, they threw it together. And it, the, the, the evidence is, 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 that's a laughable proposition, that so many people would live in such a radical way that life would be changed. This is the power of the resurrection. Now, since then... There have been tens of millions of people who put their faith and trust in the promises of God, including the resurrection, and they will stand and they will testify that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, that's the power of the resurrection. This happened. Now, if you're here and you're just checking out church, or maybe, you know, you said to your mom, what should we do for Easter? And she said, let's go to church. You went, oh, okay, And maybe you made up your mind a long time ago. You know, I just think that's a bunch of stories. Listen, don't worry about any of the Old Testament stories. Don't worry about floods. Don't worry about all those things. Worry about that another day. But this is the deal you have to come to terms with. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you need to pay attention to that. If Jesus Christ predicted that he was going to die and rose from the dead, you need to look into that. You need to look deeply Because if that happened, then he is who he said he is. And you've got to come to terms with that. Now, now, again, he made the promise for resurrection, but he made a lot of other amazing promises too. And this was a land flowing with complete satisfaction. Remember, milk and honey was about longing, it was about fat and sugar for people who were malnourished. Listen to what it says about our complete satisfaction. So the last book in the Bible is the book of the Revelation, right? And the book of the Revelation ends with this incredible story about our Future promise that's coming in Christ. And what I want to just get your mind to see is that this is most glorious. Jesus promised that he was going to bring us this place. The night before he died, he said to his disciples, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. He says, trust God, trust me. Why can we trust him? Because he rose from the dead. Trust God, trust me. He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. He said, I would not have said that if it were not true. He said, and I go there to prepare a place for you. There are things that have to happen in the heavenlys that I'm going to prepare. He says, and if I prepare this, if I go to all this trouble, you know, dying on the cross, raising from the dead, don't you know that I'm most certainly going to come back to take you to be where I am? You see, this is the promise of God. And this is what the book of Revelation says about this place. It's describing it as a place of complete transformation, complete, complete, oh man, uh, satisfaction. Then I saw, look at this, a new heaven And a new earth. And so he's making everything new. You are new. Your body is new. Your emotions are new. Your desires are new. Your passions are new. By the way, passion's not the problem. Some people think to be a good Christian, it's a... Yes. Good. Okay, and that's a Christian. And they take that to think that what heaven's going to be like is the worst meet and greet ever harps and robes and people so I looked around saw the whole thing now what are we going to do okay uh, you got any ideas and we think heaven is boring we think the cool people are going to be in hell and that's going to be a party let me just tell you about the terror of hell hell is a place where all that is left of the people who are there are their worst parts and their sin grows forever and ever. So much more that, 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 that they separate not only from God but from each other. It is a place of loneliness and isolation where you will not be fit to be with anyone else and no one will be fit for you. You'll just be, you'll just be completely isolated. Heaven is a place of never-ending discovery, learning, and excitement. Heaven is a place, the Bible says, heaven is a place where we're transformed from one glory to the other. And so the whole idea is that we come and we experience something in heaven that changes us gloriously. Have you ever experienced anything that changed you? So when I had my first child, in all seriousness, I saw this child, that changed me. I mean, it made me different. It transformed me. In heaven, we are going to see things that transform us, make us more significant, make us more glorious, even as we reflect God's glory. And then as we are transformed to be more glorious, we then are able to receive Other things about God that are even more glorious, that will change us, making us even more significant, even more. Our eyes are open more and more. And then, well, well, now I can see this. Well, wow, I can see this. This transforming. And now I can see this. And now I can see this. And you get to the end of that when you get to the end of the infinite God. And so heaven is about learning and discovering and growing and joy and purpose and meaning. See, everything is made new. Look at this. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. So if everything is being made new, all kinds of stuff is passing away. What's passing away? Your shame. Think about for a minute the worst thing you ever did. In Christ, that passes away. Every regret, every disappointment passes away. Anything right now that you are all up in knots about because you don't get, I didn't get that relationship, didn't get that promotion, didn't get that thing, can't afford to buy that, can't afford to be this, this person doesn't like me, boss, whatever. Whatever you're wrapped up about some disappointment in heaven, you're going to look like, wow, that was what I thought was important. Any disappointment is nothing. In fact, the disappointments of this life are actually a gift because it keeps us from finding our hope in this life, so we set our hope on the eternal. Consequently, anything that you're living for that you think, oh, this is the thing that will bring me satisfaction. This is the thing that will make me happy. This is the thing that will bring me home. Anything you think will make you complete or happy, listen, what you're going to understand is that ultimately in heaven you're going to look back and say, wow, the greatest thing here is like nothing there. In heaven, you look back and say, that was nothing. I can't believe I thought that was important. And so, what this eternal perspective does is it puts this life in its proper pit place. It takes the weight off, it takes the pressure off. So now you can accept it for what it is. See, this life is not about satisfaction. This life is about anticipation. It's about longing. It is about looking forward. It's like the meal's being prepared. We can't eat it yet. The vacation's coming. I can't wait. The baby's going to be born. Get this thing out of me. That kind of (laughs) thing. Right? This life is about anticipation. And this life becomes sweet with anticipation when you understand what's being promised. What else it says? It says there's no more sea. Somebody said, I kind of like the ocean. It's not that kind of thing. What's being understood here is that the guy who wrote the book of Revelation, John, one of the 12 disciples who's still following Jesus at 90, is in prison on an island. So this is a guy who's still talking about it after all those years, who who laid on Jesus' breast, who was at the foot of the cross. He would say to us, I saw him. He died. Soldier put a spear in him. He was dead. And then he wasn't. He was alive. I touched him. I embraced him. I ate with him. He was alive. This is John who's writing this. And he said there's no more sea. So what he means is, I'm on this island. At the book of the Revelation, he says, I long to see you. I long to be with you. I hate that there's a separation. In heaven, separation goes away. So some of you maybe are separated from some of you love, and they're far away. And, and that's an ache for you. In heaven, separation goes away. Maybe for you, it's that someone you love has already gone to heaven, and you're feeling that separation. And now there's a different kind of anticipation about going home. You see? And maybe for you, you're living with someone, there's separation emotionally or mentally or you can't trust or whatever because they're them and you're you and whatever. That all goes away because you're made transformed so you can be totally real, totally transparent. We can know and be known even as we know Christ. We will understand things that are a mystery. The Bible says now it's like a cloudy, cloudy window, but a cloudy mirror, but then we'll see clearly face to face who we are and who God is and what really matters because there's no more see, There's no more separation in our thinking, in our understanding, in our relationships, in any of this. See, your passions are not wrong. Your passions are misplaced. And when your passions are on things in this world, they will always disappoint you. And that is one of God's greatest gifts. If you could find satisfaction in this life, that is judgment. Because satisfaction in this life, you can't keep it. It's going to go away. At the end of the day, there's something waiting for us far, far better than anything we could imagine. It's a place of complete satisfaction. It doesn't stop there. He said, then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. The word Jerusalem means city of peace. It has not lived up to its billing. Right? But now it will be the city of peace coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned as her husband, a renewed relationship with God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So like the garden, we'll have an intimate love relation with God and with Jesus Christ. It will be as it should be. They'll no longer need to be. I have to pursue God God will be right there, and we will be with him as, as he said. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. So, our greatest enemy dies, even death dies. We're just saying that. I don't realize that. We're just saying that. And he wipes away tears, tear, regret. He goes on and says, There will be neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things, the former things, the temporary things, the things that will seem like smoke in eternity, because they're so not real. The former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new, including you. And he goes on and he says, write this down for these words are trustworthy. Why are they trustworthy? Because Jesus is spoken to him. Why is he trustworthy? Because he said he was going to rise from the dead and he did. Just let that sink in. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. Or as he said on the cross, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It started with me, it'll end with me. It's all about me. To the thirsty, that is to say, to those who are looking for satisfaction, for looking for the milk and honey, to the thirsty, I will give a spring of water of life without payment. You say, what do I have to do to go to heaven? There's nothing you can do to go to heaven. It's been done for you by Jesus Christ without payment the one who conquers will have this heritage and will be his and I will be his God and he will be my son he will be my daughter you see, this is the glorious thing that was laid down as the road map in the wilderness wandering. This pursuit of the promised land, this land of milk and honey is a hard call to have a place where there's satisfaction, where things are as they should be, where there's justice and truth and freedom in its fullest reality. Our hearts know about this, testify of it, but recognize it's not here yet. And so this promise is given to us, and for us to set our heart and our passions here does not make us pie in the sky heaven-bound kind of folks, it makes us people who are incredibly practical about what this life is all about. It transforms it. It sets us free. It it makes us have an understanding that causes us to live well. You see, this is what Easter is all about. So I want to ask you a really, really important question. And the question is simply this. Have you put your faith in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ? Because maybe this Easter, there's something about the music or something where you just recognize, you know what, I'm not satisfied. And you know what, the thing I thought I had is nothing but disappointment. And you know what, I I, I suspect more and more the older I get, that I'm not going to find it in this life. Hallelujah. You've taken the first step to salvation. And now you put your head up and you go, what about this Jesus? And and set aside all the things you've heard about the Bible and all the things, and all the, the, the things you haven't actually looked into, but you've heard You hear what I just said? You haven't actually looked into. You've just heard. And come back to this one point. This one point. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? If he did, you need to start paying attention to him. And if that promise kept is trustworthy, what about the promises he made about eternal life? See, this is what Jesus said. He said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He said, I didn't come... To condemn the world, I came that the world might be saved. I came to seek and save the lost. He recognized we're in slavery, and he wants to set us free. And so this weekend, I want to give you an invitation. I want to give you an invitation to accept Jesus Christ's gift of salvation. What do I need to do? Well, you get it without payment. You simply accept it. Be like if I gave you a gift, you'd say, let me me pay you for that. Absolutely not. It wouldn't be a gift. It would actually be offensive to me if you just didn't take the gift. That's what Christ is saying. And so in humility, I want to ask you to pray this prayer. This prayer, I want to pray. And I want my words to be your words. We're going to confess that we've sinned. That there's nothing we can do to get free from the slavery of sin. We're going to ask Jesus to forgive our sins and come into our life. We're going to ask him to bring us to the Father. And we're going to receive his promise of eternal life. And the promise that now, because of Christ, we no longer have the scary, distant God on the throne. We have a, a, a heavenly Father who we can go to with confidence. So if you'd like to welcome Christ into your life, let my prayer be your prayer this weekend. God, I have sinned. I have been selfish. I have been small. I have been petty. I have done things, and I have rationalized them. I've blamed others. I've compared myself to others. But at the end of the day, I have sinned. I am responsible for all of this. And, and there's nothing I can do. I've tried to make up for it. It's, it just doesn't work. I just keep messing it up. And so I'm at the end of trying to be a good person. I'm coming to you, and I'm asking you to forgive my sins. I'm asking you to take away my sins. I put my faith and trust in what you did on the cross. I believe in your life, your death, your resurrection. I want to proclaim with my life that I know you and I love you. I want you to change me. I want to live for your promise that there is a land flowing with satisfaction because I'll be with you, that you'll make me new. And even as I'm on this journey, I just want to trust you. God, I, 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 I believe your son's promise that now, because of Jesus, I can call you father. And you can, you, you, can, you can receive me, not because of anything I've done, but because of what has been done for me by Jesus Christ. And so I put my full faith and trust in what he has done for me. And I do all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are a lot of people throughout history who've given testimony about this experience that many of you may have just had for the first time (coughs) of accepting Christ. And they do it through their life. They do it through their verbal testimony. But one of the ways we give testimony of this experience of salvation is is baptism. So we've got all kinds of people being baptized all weekend this, this, this Easter. And here's the cool thing you need to understand about baptism. Baptism is a picture of the resurrection. And so a person standing in the water is a the picture, them all dry, dead in their sin. And what do you do with dead things? Well, spiritually, we become buried under the water with Christ. And after we're buried with the Christ, we rise with Christ. And the Bible says we rise to walk in a new, new life. We, we start the journey, even as we're on earth through the wilderness, to our home, to the promised land, to this incredible picture of eternal life, this place of hope. And, and so baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of our spiritual death and sin, being buried with Christ and, and dying with Christ, and being risen to be a new person who will live on into eternity. And we have several people who are taking this step of baptism this year. And as they prepare to come out, I just want to say a prayer for them. So will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much that you are a God who is so very, very faithful. You are a God who um, proves that you are trustworthy by sending your son and, and, and raising him from the dead. And so, Father, as these folks come and they take this step, to proclaim this in their life. They are giving the same word of testimony that the original followers of your son did. And so I pray you fill them with a sense of joy in your presence, even as they declare um, the resurrection in their life. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's give uh, another round of applause to everyone who took the step of baptism today. Let me give you a couple next steps this beautiful Easter weekend. The first one is very simply this. If you prayed that prayer with us and you want to say, what now? Well, I want to encourage you to go ahead and take the connection card at the back of your your program that you handed out. Fill that out, and there's a place where you can mark, I made a first-time commitment to Christ this day. And you can do one of two things with it. One, you can put it in the offering basket as it comes by. But what I really encourage you to do is go ahead to this little table up here in the front. There in the theater, there's one also there. And I just encourage you to go. And we have this little book that you can start reading this week. Powerful, could really help you to get started. And so go ahead and grab one of those. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I I wanted to pray that prayer, but I got questions. You do one of two things. You go to our resource center and you could ask for books that help you know, show the case for the historical Jesus. There's one called Reasons to Believe and there's one called Case for Christ. You go and look for those books and you can see the evidence for yourself if that's something you need to do. If you're ready to talk to someone but you just have some more questions, you can go to the prayer room. If you're here in the worship center you can go right over. It's right over on this side of the building on your way out. Just pop in. There's some of the most beautiful, wonderful Christian people in there who would love to hear your story and would love to answer some of the questions you have and pray for you. If you're in the theater, there's a table you'll see over to the right side, you could also take that step. I also want to let you know uh, one other thing is that we're going to have church next week. So love to see everybody. Um, And next week we're going to start an incredible series where we're going to look at a, a letter in the Bible that is an intimate, personal, letter that is written by a person to a group of friends that are really going through a very difficult time it's the book of second corinthians and it's a book that um really asks some deep questions about the nature of life how to make sense of suffering what do you do when relationships just seem damaged beyond compare and this book is powerful when we understand what's going on there and we've got a little introduction for it so that you can see what's coming and then the team is going to sing us out yes our lord is triumphant He has ushered us into new life. We celebrate the baptisms today. All weekend, this is about the resurrection power of Jesus. And if no grave could hold him down, there's no grave that's going to hold us down. Amen? Amen? Amen. Happy Easter, you guys. Hope to see you again soon. Can't wait to worship together. God bless.